Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 through chapter 3, verse 12. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cries because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Luke 4, 16 through 21. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad that you are here and thanks for being a part of Christ Community Chapel. Uh, welcome those of you at East, our East service, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, before I begin, let me uh, just uh, pray one more time. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Uh, Lord Jesus, I, I feel like uh, I know you want uh, to say something to all of us today. I pray that you'd say it. And I, uh, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, 
would be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks. Amen. All right. We're in the third uh, message of our 10-part series on the life of Moses. Uh, But we're not just talking about the life of Moses. We're connecting the life of Moses to the story of Jesus, and this is why. Uh, The Bible is a collection of 66 books written by 40 authors over the period of time of maybe 1,600 years. But the Bible properly read, properly understood, is a single story. It's a story about how God pursues people like you and people like me. The Bible properly understood, uh, properly read, is a single story uh, with a single hero, and that hero is Jesus. And so whenever we look in the Old Testament, we look at somebody like Moses, we are trying to see how Moses points us to Jesus, because everything in this story is pointing to Jesus. You know, there are lots of places to look Uh, in the Bible to see what it means to be saved, but there's probably no uh, better place, there's probably no better place than the book of Exodus and the life of Moses, because we get to see God so clearly as the one who rescues, the one who redeems, the one who restores, the one who sets people free. So we are early on in the story still. Well, we have seen the story began with the people of Israel being slaves, and they could not free themselves, so they cry out to God. And in response to their cry, uh, Moses is born. And then uh, last week, we saw how Moses, like all human leaders, was deeply flawed. And yet, God still used him. And that should give all of us hope. It gives me hope. That even though I am deeply flawed, more deeply flawed than any of you know, and probably more deeply flawed than I know, that God can still use me and he can still use you. All right, so now we've come to the part of the story where God comes in, or where Moses comes into contact with God. It's the story of the burning bush. And so I have three points, and uh, I'm going to give you those points if you are a note taker or if you just want to know where I'm going. I want to talk about why God comes, how God comes, and then finally when God comes for you. How God comes, or why God comes, how God comes, and then when God comes for you. First, why God comes. I think it's, it's important every once in a while to stop and uh, take a look at things that we easily take for granted. Uh, this past Monday, I was up early spending time with God, as is my habit, and uh, I am a pretty goal-oriented person, and those who know me well think that's probably an understatement. So when I, uh, like, I like to read the Bible through every year, so I have a certain amount of the Bible I want to get through every morning. And so, uh, and when I do that, sometimes I'll read something, and I'll be struck by it, and I'll think, that's what God wants me to remember for the day, but I keep reading to reach my goal, and I forget what he was wanting me to remember. So I decided this year that whenever I get to a place where I think God has said something to me, I want to stop. I'll just stop. So this past Monday, I uh, had been reading in the Psalms, and I was at Psalm 107. And the first verse of Psalm 107 says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, 
for he is good. That's it. And I just stopped. And I closed my Bible. And I just thought about that. Because it's something I take for granted all the time. I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He doesn't have to be. But he is. I was was reading some Greek mythology a few weeks ago. (laughs) Don't ask me why. I don't know. But in Greek mythology, uh, human beings have to placate the gods all the time, or the gods will get bored, and then the gods will come down and create mischief just because they can. Our God is not like that. God is good. Sometimes we have to just sit and think about that. So the question, the first question is, why does God come? Why does Moses have this encounter with God? And we're told at the end of Exodus chapter 2, it says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You want to know why God came? Because people were experiencing, they had needs they could not meet, they had pain they could not relieve, they had problems they could not solve. And God, because he is good, God heard, God saw, God knew, God came. It's the same for you. Same for me. You want to know why you're here? You want to know why you know anything about God at all? It's because God is good and he knows you have needs you cannot meet. You have pain you cannot relieve. You have problems you cannot solve. It doesn't take any of us very long to realize we are right in one of those categories right now. And what Scripture says is that when you find yourself in that place, you can cry out to God. And because God is good, he hears, he sees, he knows. That's why you're, if you're here and you know God, that's why you are here, right? If you're here and you are seeking God, by the way, if you are seeking God and you find yourself getting emotional during a service and you don't know why, this is why. Because you realize that you have a need you cannot meet, pain you cannot relieve, or a problem you cannot solve. And if you cry out to God, he hears, he sees, he knows. That's why God comes, right? And we take it for granted all the time. Don't take it for granted today. And then that brings me to the second point. This is the longest point of my sermon. How God comes. Um, One of the many reasons I love the Bible is the Bible always surprises me. And I should expect that because um, I shouldn't expect God to do exactly what uh, what I think I would do if I were God, that God is different than any of us. But this passage is full of all kinds of surprises. So let me just try to take you through some of them. The first surprise to me is that Moses isn't searching for God. He's not on some kind of spiritual quest. He's not overcome with guilt because of murdering the Egyptian. He's just out on an ordinary day. And he's just doing his stuff. He is taking his sheep 
out, and he is not expecting anything. He is not searching for God. God makes the first move. God always makes the first move. You know God, it's because he made the first move. So God wants to get Moses' attention, right? How would you get, how, if you were God, how would you get somebody's attention, right? Well, listen, I'm just a human being, but when I want to get somebody's attention, like my grandkids' attention, I get their attention, right? I'm like, hey, all right, see, I just got your attention. If, you're, if somebody beside you was sleeping, they're awake now, right? It's not that hard. What does God do? God is in a bush, that's on fire. He's not even in front of Moses. He's in Moses' periphery. Like Moses has to see him. And the reason I say that is uh, chapter three, verse three, it says this. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the, bu why the bush is not burned. He has to turn aside. And the, po the point is this, that if he had stayed with his ordinary life, if he hadn't allowed God to disrupt him, and God wasn't being so obvious that Moses could not avoid him, Moses could have avoided him. But if Moses had not been willing to get disrupted, his ordinary life to get disrupted, he would have never encountered God. If Moses had, if Moses had looked and seen the bush and then gone, ooh, looked at his watch and decided, I gotta get these sheep back by dusk, you would have never heard of Moses. And this is my point. Your ordinary life shouts for your attention and your time, always. God is always kind of the still, small voice. He does not shout. He does not push his way in. So if you do not, if you are not willing to disrupt your ordinary life for God, you will not encounter him. You will not Growing. It's, it's amazing to me that God allows us to be too busy for him. It's incredible. I would never, I would ne if I were God, you would never be too busy for me. But we can be, we can go, oh, my job, it's just so, I mean, there's so much happening. My kids, I got too many things happening with my kids. I just don't have time. When I have time, then I'll look at God. You will never encounter God unless you're willing to disrupt your ordinary life because your ordinary life is always, always too busy. So Moses isn't on a search from God. God allows Moses to see him in his periphery. Moses makes the decision, okay, I will take a step toward God. And the reason he does, right, and it says it in the passage, that the bush is on fire but is not consumed. That's what gets him, right? He's going, huh. Let me, let me go see this amazing sight, how it is that there's a bush that's on fire and is not burned up. Right? It's a conundrum. It's a, it's a contradiction. It's a, it's a category that Moses has uh, no category for. Right? So that's what makes him take his first step toward God. I have a, a friend who's a doctor. He's a brilliant man. Whenever he tells his story of how he came to faith in Jesus, he always talks about a 16-year-old boy he was treating when he was a resident. And this 16-year-old boy was dying of a disease that was literally snapping his bones. And my, my friend said it was a horrible way to die, but this 16-year-old boy would look at my friend and say, it with perfect peace, oh, don't worry about me, I'm okay. 
I know Jesus. And my friend would go home and just think and go, what, is, what does he have? How can he possibly be like that? And here I am, and I do not have that peace, and I'm not in the condition that he is a burning bush. Right? 16-year-old boy created a category that my friend did not have, and it made my friend take a step toward God. Heard of, a, of another story of a, of a woman who had been at a job for a year, and she made a mistake that she knew was going to cost her her job, but her immediate boss took responsibility for her mistake. And she went to him and she said, well, why would you do that? And he said, well, I've been here long enough. I knew that that mistake wouldn't cost me my job, but it might have it cost you yours. And she was going, but, but why? And he goes, oh, it's just the right thing. to do." She goes, no, why? And he goes, you really want to know why? And she goes, I really want to know why. And he says, Jesus. And he talks to her about Jesus. And the next week she's in church because she's taken a step toward God. You know, we have three huge goals in this church, right? Everyone, every community, everywhere. The everyone goal is this, that we want in the next 30 years, everyone within a 10-mile radius of this church to have a Christ-following friend. Why? You know why? We feel like if every person in a 10-mile radius knows a bush that is on fire, knows a, a Christ follower who is living their life in such a way that they create a different category for this person where they say to themselves, what is it about them? I don't understand why they are the way they are. Then every single person in a 10-mile radius of this church will take a step toward God. I think it's wild. So God is, he appears as a bush that's on fire and is not consumed. Oh, um, have you ever known a perfectionist? Like somebody you go into their house and everything has its place and everything, you know, what? There's a place for everything and everything is in its place. Or, you, or a really good architect, really good decorator where there's a, an answer to every why question. This is what hit me this week. God is a perfectionist. He kind of has to be. So God is this perfectionist where everything is exactly the way he wants it to be. And all you have to do to see God's perfectionism is you can look at astrophysics or you can look at microbiology. You can go big, go small. The reason I say that is that there's, there's a billion ways for our, literally a billion ways for our universe to be put together, but only one way that our universe can be put together uh, in such a way that there can be human life. And I say that because uh, a man named Brandon Carter, who was a physicist, uh, presented a paper in 1973 in Krakow, Poland, at a science symposium that was celebrating the 500th year of Copernicus. And uh, Dr. Carter had, uh, his paper was called The Anthropic Principle. What he had found was that there were about a, a half dozen measurements in the universe that had to be exactly precise. They had to be perfect. If they were not perfect, human life would not exist, right? The, the gravitational constant, the speed of light, the, the mass of the proton, right? the, the strong magnetic force, all those things, right? And he, he called it the anthropic principle because anthropos is the Greek word for man. 
And he was saying that it seems like the universe was finally tuned with one thing in mind, you and me. That was in 1973. There have been since then 30 more measurements that scientists know had to be absolutely perfect for the universe to exist the way it does, for you and I to exist. That was often a tangent. Sorry. The reason I say that is that when God decides to appear to Moses in a burning bush, it wasn't by accident. God didn't didn't panic. He didn't like, Moses didn't start to turn left and God was going, oh my gosh, he's getting away. Poof. He lights a bush on fire. God did it for a reason. We have to try to go, what, what, why would God do it like that? So he's, he appears in a, a bush that's on fire and is not consumed. Moses takes this first step toward God because of this kind of thing that's happening that it doesn't have a category for. And the first thing that happens is God says something to Moses. And what he says is Moses' name. Out of all the things that God could have said, he says, Moses, Moses. First thing God ever says to you is your name. And what God is telling Moses is, I know you. I know you. But then he says to Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. Right? Because, you know, he's, he's a bush. I mean, he's appearing as a bush that's on fire and is not consumed. You know, I love props. You know that. On Monday, I went to my staff and I said, listen, I'm going to be speaking on the burning bush. Uh, I, I would love to have a prop. I want a fire, like a big fire on stage, right? And I love my staff. And they go, okay, we'll work on it. On Wednesday, I went back to him and I said, listen, I was thinking about it and uh, don't kill yourselves trying to figure that out because I don't know. And they were like, okay, good, because we couldn't really figure out how to have a a roaring fire and have it be safe in the sanctuary. You should love our staff too. But that's the point, right? Fire is not safe. You don't go willy-nilly with fire. God tells Moses, I know you. Moses, Moses. Moses starts to come close to God. God goes, oh, you don't know me yet. You should know I'm a fire. Take off your shoes. You approach fire on fire's terms. You know, I, God is saying something to Moses. He's saying something to people. You know, I talk to people all the time who want to say, you know what? Um, I like to think of God uh, that God loves everybody, God accepts everybody. I just, this is the way I see God. And I want to go, you know, you, it doesn't matter how you see God. The question is, what is God really like? You know, later on in this passage, Moses will say to God, listen, uh, who should I say sent me? What is your name? God doesn't say, I am whoever you want me to be. I am whatever you want me to be. That's not what he says. He says, I am what I am. Tell him that. And you remember, I'm a fire. I'm a fire. Approach me on my terms. He tells him to take off his shoes. There's, uh, there are a lot of people, too, that I talk to that say, listen, if I, 
If I become a Christian, if I come to God, does that mean I have to quit uh, living with my girlfriend? Does that mean I have to stop doing this? Do I have to start doing this? And I want to go, listen, you, you got to be willing to take off. You're, you're never going to come close to God unless you're willing to take off your shoes, unless you're willing to say, God, what, whatever, whatever you want. If you are stuck in your growth toward God, it's because in some ways you're saying, yeah, I know what you want, but I'm going to keep my shoes on and hope that you just work your way around me. But the biggest thing that happens in this passage to me is this kind of weird thing where God, you know, he gets Moses' attention. He obviously wants Moses to come to him. Moses comes, he breaks from his ordinary life and he comes to God. And as he comes closer to God, all of a sudden God says, stop, don't come any closer. He says, Moses, I know you. And he wants, Moses wants to finally come close to God. And God says, you can't. I'm a fire stop. You can't come any closer. That's a problem. It's a problem for Moses. It's a problem for you. Problem for me. And that brings me to the third point, which is when God comes for you. When God comes for you. You know, when you, if you read the book of Exodus, and I hope you are reading it during this passage or you take the time to read it sometime uh, during these uh, 10 weeks. But when you read it, the first half of Exodus is very exciting. Very easy to read. It's like an action movie. I mean, there are plagues and there are, there are chases and there's a pillar of fire and there's, there's rebellion, uh, there's chariots, there's all kinds of stuff. It's, it's an action movie for the first half. The second half of Exodus gets really tedious. It gets tedious because it's all about the building of a tabernacle, which is a tent, and God is a perfectionist, so everything uh, has a place and there's a place for everything. But the, the tabernacle has one purpose, and the purpose is sacrifice. The purpose is sacrifice. What God is saying to the people, listen, I have saved you. I have redeemed you. I have brought you out of slavery. But if you want to really get close to me, you can't do it without a sacrifice. Because of who I am and because of who you are. In the passage that we had read from the New Testament, Jesus, very early on in his ministry, uh, goes to his hometown of Nazareth, walks into a synagogue, and he asks for a scroll, and he opens the scroll up, and this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls the scroll back up and he sits down and he says, today, this has come true. Do you hear what he's saying? Jesus gets up and he says to everyone who have needs you cannot meet, pain you cannot relieve, problems you cannot solve, I've come. I've come. And then his whole life, the whole ministry is heading to the cross. And he says it over and over and over again, that I've come for you. I have come 
to be the sacrifice. So that when you want to get close to God, you don't have to stop. That when you want to get close to God, you can run to God like a child running to a father who loves him. And like a child, he wraps his arms around you and holds you close. The reason you can do that is Jesus. Jesus. You can get as close to God as you really want to get. And only because of Jesus. Listen, you know as well as I do, you have needs you cannot meet, you have pain you cannot relieve, you have problems that you cannot solve. Jesus came for you. The one who is greater than Moses, so that you can draw close to the God who knows your name, calls you by name, and wants you to experience his love. Because God is good, and God sees, God hears, God knows. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you, and I am am so grateful. You know. You know. I have needs I cannot meet, pain I cannot relieve. Problems I cannot solve. But you see, you hear, you know. And because God is good, you have come. For me, for all of us. Lord Jesus, I pray that every person here would uh, understand your sacrifice in such a way that they would run to you and that we'd experience your love more than ever before, and that you would become inside of us uh, a fire. So that when people see us, we create for them a category that they have never seen. And so even as they see you in us, they will take a step toward you. That's our prayer. Thanks. We pray this in your name. Amen.